Hi, we're Josh and Arielle Wamsley, owners of Green Valley Tree LLC, based in North Wyndham. We're proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week and to serve the communities of Wyndham and New London counties with our tree removal and plant health care services. Visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com for a full list of our services or give us a call on 860-234-4041. We look forward to hearing from you. The bill to legalize recreational use of marijuana edged a little closer recently, but will it give everything that people want? And the Miss America competition is back in Connecticut and staying here for the time being. Plus, we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. Legalization of adult recreational use of marijuana took a step closer in the state recently when the governor's bill was voted through by a slim margin by the Judiciary Committee and with amended language in the 200-page bill. But it's not yet a done deal, and another House bill is vying to add more language to the debate to make sure any final legislation is fair and equitable. The other bill is House Bill 6377, an act concerning labour peace agreements and a modern and equitable cannabis workforce in the state. I caught up with State Representative Robin Porter, one of the supporters of this bill, and cannabis advocate Joseph Raymond of the New England Craft Cannabis Alliance to find out more. Thanks for joining us on Connecticut East this week. Thank you for having us, Brian. Thank you very much, Brian. So we're talking marijuana. Recreational marijuana is looking as if it will pass this time in Connecticut. There's a couple of bills that are out for this particular topic. Recently, the governor's bill, SB 888, passed very slimly through the judiciary. Still got a little bit of a way to go. But you guys want to talk about a House Bill 6377. So Robin, talk to us a little bit about this, because you were one of the people that introduced this. Why did you want to get behind this particular house bill? Well, I I thought it was necessary to have this bill raised out of labor because we wanted to make sure that labor peace agreements and project labor agreements that define local hiring would be included in the language and in conversations with the governor's office. It wasn't clear that labor peace, project labor agreements, or equity for that matter, and home growth would be included. So it was my way of raising the bill out of my committee to ensure that the conversations that needed to be had would be had. And Joseph, your organization, the New England Craft Cannabis Alliance, obviously advocates, you know, for small businesses as well. Why did you get behind this particular bill with Robin? My biggest reason was, uh, so I've been um, advocating with the wonderful Jason Ortiz for about four years now. He leads a unified coalition called the Connecticut Canna Warriors. And, you know, we decided as a group of advocates this year in Connecticut to come out with a unified message. And that unified message was to stand behind HB 6377 from the labor agreements, from the equity, from the home grow. Every part of 6377 was more of a social justice minded bill. And that's, in, in my opinion, is the only way to do it. I mean, New York basically just passed a a very socially aware, and then New Jersey, on the other hand, passed the opposite. It was the finer details, the home grow, the equity, the the labor agreements, like Robin had mentioned, 
the the fact that the four growers wouldn't have control of the market the four current growers for our medical program wouldn't control the market the way they would in SB888 they would have a head start in the recreational market which kills any kind of equity right off the start yeah let's talk a little bit more about that because robin that's a, a big issue for you isn't it it's the social equity you know, applicants like side of this. Talk to us more about it. Why is it so important to have the social equity aspect to this? Uh, social equity, and, and, and <laughs> this is what has been called throughout the process, throughout different states, social equity. To me, it's actually economic equity. It's about making financially sound the communities that have been harmed the most. The communities have had the most detrimental damage done to them by the war on our people, and that is the black and brown communities and poor white communities. Nixon made it no secret that back when he waged this war, that the White House had two enemies, blacks and hippies. So we want to make sure that the communities that were intentionally and maliciously targeted for this war actually are the first ones to uh, reap the benefits of any revenues. And, and, And I'm not actually calling them revenues. I see it as restitution. Uh, 6377 is an economic empowerment bill. It is about repairing and restoring and giving restitution to the communities that I've mentioned in a restorative justice way. And we're making progress, you know, but unfortunately, it's clear the governance team is, is not really negotiating in good faith as far as I'm concerned, because, you know, they had an opportunity to come back and to define equity and their social equity applicant definition is actually what Illinois has coined the slave masters clause. So we, we we have some things that definitely need to be worked out. And if we're talking equity, I believe that House Bill 6377 is the vehicle. I mean, this bill is still very much alive. We mentioned that the governor's bill, SB 888, did pass the judiciary, but it passed very slimly uh, mm-hmm. by way of voting. Do you feel that there's enough people behind yours that it is actually going to passage through, as it were? Um, yeah, there's a lot of support for my bill. The last I checked, which was about a week ago, uh, I actually had 22 co-sponsors. 22 of my colleagues are co-sponsoring this bill in support of the equity and the labor piece and the fact that we are, and, and we did have some victories. Let, let, let's just back up for a minute. We did have some victories with the governor's bill. Um, and that's why I was able to vote in good faith to get it out of committee so that it can continue to be a work in progress. You know, there was the inclusion of our tribe and the equity program. Very important that we include our Native brothers and sisters. They looked at a set aside for the equity licenses. And they also put in protections for youth that there would be no uh, incarceration for those under 18th, which is a youth justice win. So there were some good things that came out of the governance bill, but there's still a lot of work to be done to really be able to say that it's real equity across the board. And in home grow, he did put in his bill, but it only pertains to medicinal. And I think that 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 should have been a given at the time the medicinal was set up. So that's really not anything that he's given us. That's something that he should have done already. Everyone should have the ability to home grow. And we have people to testify to that fact that if you're going to legalize, you have to decrim and you must allow people to have home growth. So home growth for all and our partnerships with UConn, who are offering college level credit to learn how to grow. I mean, right now, at this moment, UConn, our state school, is offering a home growth course. So 
we need to get on board, you know, and we need to make sure that we not only get this done, Brian, but we get it done right. And Joseph, I want to turn to you as and when this passes. And like like we said, it's going to pass in some form. When it does pass, it's not going to be perfect. No piece of legislation ever is. So talking about the homegrown aspect here, uh, what Robin just said, that that's not being allowed under the current version of the bill. Why is that so important, though? Why is the homegrown aspect so important? And foremost, if you're going to legalize and decriminalize something and and then make it just a product or something that's only legal when purchased on a, on a consumer level, That there's no social justice aspect to that. You're just furthering the narrative that's been going on for the last 60 to 100 years, because we all know the same people who were benefiting off the backs of, uh, I don't want to, you know, some of the uh, atrocities in, in this country will be profiting off of that type of corporatized structure as well. It's very important to give people the right to to the plant. I mean, it is the most pure form of equity to allow someone to grow their own medicine or whatever they use it for and, and give themselves enough supply for the year. In, in my opinion, that's one of the purest forms of equity. I think the other thing, Brian, is when you talk about homegrown equity, you have people like um, a young woman that came to testify at the public hearing who stated that she spends over $6,000 a year on medicinal cannabis and that having the ability to grow would help to release some of the financial burden that she wouldn't be able to, would she still go to the dispensary? She said, of course I would. But you know, when you get strapped for cash, it's nice to know that I don't have to be without my medication, that I actually have an option to grow my medication. I just want to very quickly talk about, you know, the the tax and the and the excise tax that the governor's sort of suggested for this. I mean, is that tax like reasonable or is that being seen as a pretty high tax? Uh, I mean, he's already sort of like putting figures of how much money he thinks he's going to get out of out of this by way of revenue for the state, hasn't he? Yes, he has. Um, and, and some people are saying that it's exorbitant, that the tax is high. And there's clearly with the governor a push for revenue. And, and, and I feel like his, you know, and we in his language in the bill, you know, what's really driving it is revenue and fear. You can't legalize and then have a three strikes clause that sends people to jail with a felony. My bill, again, is about restoration and, and really education and economic empowerment. So I think that, you know, you, you say that it's going to get done, but I actually say we're going to either do it right or we're not going to do it at all. And it would be unfortunate for us to have to shut down, you know, the negotiations and not see this pass this year. But before I would ever sign off on any piece of legislation legalizing adult use cannabis without, you know, I just wouldn't do it without the equity. I was going to say to follow up with Robin, we stand so hard behind Robin. If she even winces that she's not going to stand behind a bill, the advocates will absolutely stand behind her and help her to shut down whatever bill you know, that we feel is inequitable and is not the right policy for Connecticut residents, because this is not something we've started this year. We have all, including Robin, have been working on this for years. And this is to shut it down one more year would any issue to us. Um, We've we've survived up until now. And we're not going to just, you know, give for some policy just to pass it, like Josh Elliott will say, just to get it over the finish line. But I, I don't agree with with him, and 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 I agree with Robin. If it's not the right policy, we will definitely shut it down. And there are certain hard nos that we have about the policies, which include 
the equity, equity portion, the home growth portion. So, you know, there could be some hard realities coming for, for the governor soon. Joseph Raymond and Robin Porter, it's been great talking to you. Like I said, we will be coming back on this subject because this is certainly not going away by any stretch of the imagination. But of <laughs> course, we will find out in the next three months when the legislator has to like vote on the bills in which direction this goes. So it will be interesting to see whether yeah. or not it does indeed pass or it doesn't. As I say, it's been great talking to both of you. Thank you so much, Brian. Thank you, Brian. If you don't dispose of the unused or expired prescription drugs in your home, they might find a new one. They could end up lost, stolen, or simply misused. Keep them safe, clean them out, take them back at the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration's National Prescription Drug Take-Back Day, Saturday, April 24th. To find a collection site near you, please visit DEATakeBack.com. DEA Take-Back Day, Saturday, April 24th. It's a competition that's been around for 100 years and over time has evolved as the world has changed. Miss America is back in Connecticut and it looks like it's staying for a while at Mohegan Sun, where it was held back in 2019 before the COVID-19 pandemic. I attended a press event recently about the announcement and spoke with the Miss America organization president and CEO, Chantel Krebs, and Jeff Hamilton, president and general manager of Mohegan Sun. Chantal, I'm going to turn to you first, obviously, because it is a Miss America announcement. Tell us about it, and also, you're celebrating 100 years. Not you personally, of course, but the organization. Absolutely. Well, we'll talk about a rich history. Look at Mohegan Sun's rich cultural history. And here, Miss America, it's our 100th year. We are known as the iconic brand, that household name that everyone knows. And we're going in and celebrating our 100th anniversary. It's such a great facility, the state-of-the-art, safe facility to celebrate our 100 years and our competition later this year here at Mohegan Sun. And it's a three-year commitment that will be celebrating and having the Miss America competition and all of its festivities and events leading into that major network uh, uh, announcement and crowning moment here at Mohegan Sun. So we're thrilled to making a difference in lives in their communities, local, state, nationally, like Miss America. Our candidates have social impact initiatives and they have causes that they advocate for. And we're the largest scholarship provider in the country for women. So those are all things that I feel just align as a mission and vision together uh, with Mohegan Sun and Miss America. What a perfect opportunity to empower women into the next century with Mohegan Sun. Jeff, of course, an amazing event to have here. What does it mean to Mohegan Sun? Because, of course, you've held the event here before, but now, of course, it's going to be here for a lot longer. Yeah, I, I mean, we're, we're just tremendously excited. I mean, Miss America is just a staple event. And what they stand for, you know, it's, it's, you know, what we've been talking about really all day today is, you know, how do we empower women, especially in this day and age, I think, for us, it's always been a strategic advantage for us is our diversity. So we have, you know, we have a tremendous amount of women uh, executives in our in our boardroom. We we own a Connecticut Sun team, and now to be able to have this partnership and be able to crown the next Miss America for the next three years and build off that first year that we have, we're just tr- we're just tremendously excited. Especially coming out of the pandemic, I think we you know we look forward to December and being able to host Miss America, and we're going to have our safety guidelines in place. But our hope is that by the time we get to December, we're going to have a a Miss America with a sold-out arena, and we're going to be able to really celebrate and congratulate, you know, the next winner of Miss America. 
was going to say, with COVID obviously still very much you know, in the headlines, I'm guessing it's posed a lot of challenges for both your organizations. I think for us, we've been hosting events really throughout the pandemic. I think, and I know that goes back to our partnership with, with Miss America in that you know, we opened last June. We've been hosting bubble events, Showtime Boxing, Bellator MMA. We ho- hosted Bubbleville, the college basketball bubble. We're going to be hosting the Hall of Fame induction ceremony in May. Our Connecticut Sun team is going to be playing here again, so we're going to be hosting WNBA. So we've been hosting big events. We have a safety profile um, and protocol in place that we believe that regardless of where we are in the pandemic in December, we're going to be able to host Miss America safely. My hope is that by December, we're going to be able to host Miss America just like we did you know, two years ago with the, with the sold-out arena. But if we can't, I guarantee that we can have people attend and we can have a great event and make sure that everyone's safe. We're going to adjust and adapt to, to the changing protocols. Well, you've certainly shown how well-organized, obviously, Mohegan Sun is with, obviously, COVID testing and everything. Chantel, I want to get back to you about, you know, the challenges, you know, the COVID challenges. What challenges has that posed for the organization? It has been a challenging year, but that's what's so great about that. Whether it be a business or a Mohegan Sun or any nonprofit, we became very flexible and adaptable. So this past year in 2020, there were no state competitions held, which essentially meant that we had to delay holding the state competitions until right now they're going on and will the next few months be crowning new state title holders. That young lady then will be here in Mohegan Sun to be crowned one of them, our next Miss America. So that challenge, like you said, in the pandemic, but we became a very virtual Miss America. Our Miss America, Camille Schreier, has done so many presentations across the country virtually in her basement with a full studio. Of course, she did that famous science demonstration. She had to sometimes do it outside in her backyard, but did this all virtually and yet was able to maintain and get out her message of opioid awareness and mind your meds, talking about her scholarship, $77,000 won. And this is really great because she's now going back to school here very soon for her doctorate of pharmacy. We have a scientist as a Miss America. What does that tell you about the program? And all the things that we've accomplished these hundred years and transitioning to the next century. Yeah, that's what I wanted to pick up on because Jeff actually mentioned this earlier when the presentation was being given. It's not considered a pageant anymore. It was a job interview was the words that Jeff used. So I just want to put this question to you before I turn it back to Jeff is how relevant in this modern age is an event like this? Because it's been criticised for being, you know, perhaps a little bit out of touch, a bit out of date. What's your reaction to that? First of all, they don't know and they're not familiar with the Miss America organization. And then you take a look at the candidates across the country who are competing. They are your influencers in their communities. They're the ones that are making the impacts with their social causes, advocating for serious issues. They're at the forefront of the trends and talking about issues and educating others. They're the ones that are going to school with their education, the scholarships they won into degrees of law and pharmacy and uh, being becoming a doctor, all because the Miss America organization has launched them into these careers. And that's what's interesting is Miss America has always been a leader at the forefront. They may just think of it one day a year what they see on TV, but they don't realize the job she does 365 days a year and the impact she's making to thousands of people across the country during that year of service. And that's truly what it is. So I want them to challenge people to dig a little deeper and say, what really does Miss America do? And it's beyond what you and I can imagine with those causes and the impacts, the social hours that she's dedicating for volunteering and the the scholarship money. She's going back to school. She's got a job. She's out in the community helping in the community like Mohegan Sun. You know, these are our leaders. And that's what's so impressive is that you'd want to hire them as who you These are the, the candidates that you're they're interviewing for the job of Miss whatever or Miss America. These are the candidates you want to hire in your companies. 
So, Jeff, getting back to you, like I said, during the presentation, you said the words job interview. Explain some more about that because you were very emphatic about that. Yeah. I, I think for me, the you know, I didn't know m- much about Miss America when we first hosted, the, hosted Miss America. I was able to spend a lot of time throughout the throughout the week and was actually able to judge one of the scholarship events here. And I challenge, you know, similar to what we were just discussing, I challenge anyone that questions uh, Miss America and, you know, the empowerment and the betterment of, uh, of of women to find out about their state, you know, find out about who's representing their state, you know, you know do some research on, on Camille and then, you know, come back and, and, and really, you know, evaluate, you know, what this organization, organization is doing. When you meet the women that participate in Miss America, you see that these are the future leaders of America. Um, these are people that we all want to have in our boardrooms. These are, these are really a diverse group of women that have, you know, just tremendous, tremendous ability to stand up in front and, and speak and talk about. And really from a, from a diversity standpoint, you know, these are the people that are going to lead our country in, in, in the future. So, you know, to be able to give them the, uh, the ability to be on national TV and to highlight all the things that they're working on, you know, I don't think there's a better cause to really move women forward than something like Miss America. As we said earlier, of course, Mohegan Sun has hosted Miss America before, but before it came here to Connecticut, I believe it was on the West Coast and also uh, New Jersey, if my research is correct. So why Connecticut? Why has Connecticut now become the new home, you know, at least for the next three years anyway, for Miss America? What is it that Connecticut's got other than, of course, you know, the amazing Mohegan Sun? Well, absolutely. The state of art facility. Uh, It's the innovation, their vision. Uh, Again, that relationship that we see how we partner very well in what we have for a mission as as empowering women and scholarships and reaching out and doing things in the communities. That's very natural. Yeah, you know, we were in Atlantic City. It was a wonderful host home for many years, but this is really the next generation, the next century of leaders. And Mohegan Sun demonstrates that, first of all, and foremost, public safety. You know, with the safety protocols they have in place that was first and foremost a priority for them and for us and our candidates and fans to make sure when they come here they feel safe and Mohegan Sun absolutely demonstrates that it is very impressive and that's a priority second thing is look at the facility when people were here this last time they're amazed at how beautiful this resort it's a resort environment and the premier entertainment environment what more would you want to have fans and friends and families come here and celebrate with miss america at this beautiful property and they do it all right here there is you don't need to go off property it's so beautiful here and that's what we wanted to see is how can you do all that and display what we do as an organization right here and they can do that with all their different types of facilities a smaller stage to the large arena Mohegan Sun is the perfect place for Miss America from a Connecticut perspective I would say you know why would you know Billy Joel play 10 shows at Mohegan Sun I think we can say that about so many Barrett Jackson we can say that about so many events for anyone that has never been to our property I urge them to to visit our property I think one of the things that we saw with Miss America is you have people from all 50 states that come here many of which have never been to Mohegan Sun and the pride and just how enthusiastic and excited and how much they loved um, our property and our service you know when people come here we really pride ourselves again in diversity and then making people feel like it's their home. Um, You know, that's our service model is we hire a diverse workforce and we allow them to be themselves. We don't provide them scripts. We just allow them to provide comfortable, natural service. And I think, you know, when you think about Miss America and diverse people that come to Miss America from all 50 states, it's just a perfect environment where we have the infrastructure to be able to do it. You don't need to go outside, but we also have the world-class team that's able to execute it safely and provide
provide that service that anyone's comfortable, whether you're from South Carolina or Texas or Alaska or you're from Connecticut or New York or California. You know, anyone that, that comes to Mohegan Sun is, is going to feel that comfortable service that we provide every single day. And of course, even people in Connecticut forget that Mohegan Sun and of course Foxwoods down the road are two of the largest casino and resorts in not only America, but possibly in the world as well. Yeah, if you think about what we have here, a 10,000-seat arena that's ranked top 10 globally of all arenas, it's top three for arenas of, of their size, a 125,000-square-foot expo center that's unencumbered. It's the biggest expo center in the Northeast outside of uh, the two major expo, center, expo centers, Jacob Javits in New York and Boston Convention Center. There's no other bigger un- unencumbered exposition center. And then you have 5 million square feet of entertainment and uh, dining. You have 1,600 hotel rooms, two hotel towers. It's very easy to get to, whether you're going from an airport or from one of the major metropolitan areas in the Northeast. It's The, the infrastructure here is is uh, second to none. And the pride in the property. So one of the things is whether, you know, our property was built in 90, 1996. So whether it's a part of the property that was built in 1996 or one of the newer areas of the property, the attention to detail to make sure that everything looks like it's new. This is our home and we treat it as that. And of course, all set in beautiful Connecticut countryside as well. I just want to ask you both one final question. What's your closing comments to anybody listening to this about Miss America? Well, first of all, join us. Tune in. Tune in. Check out your state competitions when they're being held across the country. Right now they're going on. But then don't forget to come to Mohegan Sun in December and celebrate with us. It's a 100-year anniversary. Trust me, we have a lot of fantastic events, and they're going to provide the premier uh, service for that. So get here. Watch us in the live broadcast in the Mohegan Sun Arena. How thrilling to watch a 100th Miss America get crowned. I believe it's a bucket list item. And I didn't believe it was a bucket list item until I was able to attend. And then I'm, now I'm telling people it's a bucket list item to come and, and watch Miss America and just see the pride and, you know, how the states interact. It's, I mean, it's just a tremendous, tremendous event that you, you have to get excited about. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Jeff Hamilton, President and General Manager of Mohegan Sun and Chantel Krebs, CEO of Miss America Organization and former Miss South Dakota. To you both, congratulations. We look forward to watching Miss America. And thank you for joining us on Connecticut East this week. Thank Thank you. And since recording this interview, the various competitions to find each new state's winner to go on to Miss America have begun, and already the new Miss Connecticut has been crowned. She's Sapna Raghavan from Ellington. Green Valley Tree LLC is proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week. Contact Green Valley Tree LLC for all your tree removal and plant health care needs and more. Find us at GreenValleyTreeWorks.com or call 860-234-4041. Time now for a look at some of the other stories making the headlines in the region recently, sponsored by... The Connecticut Council on Problem Gambling is a nonprofit organization which, through advocacy, prevention, and education, is here to support individuals and families who are impacted by problem gambling. Our helpline, 1-888-789-7777 is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We also have live chat and tech support through our website, www.ccpg.org. Governor Lamont addressed business leaders both virtually and in person recently to highlight his commitment to building economic growth in southeastern Connecticut. Lamont appeared at a virtual business breakfast and later in person in the city of New London to talk up the economy. We haven't raised our credit rating for 20 years in this state. We raised it a week ago. We didn't raise it. Moody's rated our rating. You may say, oh, that's just a bunch of Wall Street guys. Big deal. No. That means people around the country are looking at Connecticut, saying we're getting our fiscal house in order. Maybe I want to invest here and grow here. 
United Community and Family Services, UCFS, based in Eastern Connecticut, is receiving over $3 million from the American Rescue Plan Act to help in the fight against COVID-19. U.S. Senator Richard Blumenthal visited their Norwich COVID clinic to see the work in progress. Blumenthal said as vaccine supply begins to ramp up, it's about reaching people and communities wherever they are. The vaccines are useful only if they get into people's arms. And so places like this federally qualified health clinic and pharmacies, hospitals, all of the sites, the more the better. In the day this week, the city of New London is working to finalise a project to extend free internet access to hundreds of New London homes, targeting those without the means to afford access on their own. Residents in covered areas will have free internet access with certain restrictions, such as limitations on streaming and gaming. And in next week's Connecticut East this week, Connecticut's prison population is at a 30-year low, and the state is looking to close down various prison facilities, including the Supermax prison in Somers. Plus, we find out about the fund that's helping musicians financially hit by the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, and how it's hoped the fund could become a lifeline for years into the future. That's all from us for this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at connecticut-east.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East This Week, where you can also listen to the show again on demand. And please like, follow and share on your social media platforms too. I'm Brian Scott-Smith. Thank you for listening. <laughs>